as our three boys were growing up, we would often touch base with them after a Sunday service and just say, so to make sure they were paying attention, we would say, so what was the sermon about this morning? Our oldest son would always say, love. Probably not too far from the truth, but if he was going to be here for this Advent season, he'd be right every week. Because indeed, we're dealing with that concept in a very beautiful way through 1 Corinthians 13. I would encourage you, even though we just look at the first three verses this morning, to throughout the weeks of Advent, read through 1 Corinthians 13 at least daily, and read it in different translations to get a flavor for what the power of it really is. So having said that, let's turn this morning first to 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll also turn to uh, 1 John and to Philippians. But 1 Corinthians 13, we'll read the first three verses. Let's hear this word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Turn now to the first epistle of John, which is in many ways an epistle of Christ's love. First John, the fourth chapter, beginning of verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then that majestic chapter from Paul, his second, his letter to the Philippians, the second chapter, reading the first eight verses. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. As we seek to understand and apply his word, let's pray. Almighty God, you instruct us by your holy word. 
We urge you to enlighten our minds and cleanse our hearts that as we meditate on your word in these coming moments, we may rightly understand and heartily embrace what you reveal to us. Through your Holy Spirit, may our hearts prove to be good soil so we will not only hear your word, but it will grow in us so we will live according to your will. Accomplish your purpose now, we pray. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Do it with love. The mentally challenged little boy was at a drugstore, and he sat down on the floor and took some bottles off the shelf and began to play with them. The druggist came over and ordered him to stop playing with them. And when he didn't, he then scolded him in an even sterner tone. At about that time, his sister came over and put her arm around him and whispered something into his ear softly, and immediately he replaced the bottles on the shelf. She turned to the druggist and said, You see, he doesn't understand when people talk to him like that. I just love it into him. When love comes down in practical ways and reaches the heart and the needs of people, lives are impacted and changed. And that's one of the clearest, most consistent messages of the Bible. Do everything in love. In fact, Paul in Corinthians says, love is the greatest. So let's set just a slight context here. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul encouraged the Corinthians to desire the greater spiritual gifts so that they could have an impactful ministry. But when he was done with all that, he said he was going to show them an even better, in fact, the most excellent way, which is 1 Corinthians 13, the way of love. You see, Paul understood that love has priority. Now, he was quick to commend the Corinthian church for her strengths. She had a multiplicity of spiritual gifts which were being readily used. And she indeed had the right doctrine that was, being, that was being aggressively defended and taught. But Paul had noted that true love seemed to be absent. So he pointed out the priority of love. And he said, first of all, love is primarily an obligation. If I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong and clanging cymbal. If I do not have love, I am nothing. If I do not have love, I gain nothing. Now let's for a few moments just dissect those first three phrases in those first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now wouldn't it be awesome if we could speak all the languages of humans and speak the language of angels, whatever that is, and speak it clearly and powerfully and impact the lives of people? Paul said if we did that without love, Let's picture it like this. Amy does a beautiful job playing the drums for us. But imagine if all of a sudden, in the midst of one of our songs, she decided that she had, it was time to recognize her talent of playing the cymbals. So she stood up, and she just started clanging away as loud as she could until the song was done. We couldn't hear each other. We couldn't hear the rest of the music. All we could hear is the clanging cymbal. Paul says, to speak without love is to sound just like that. Verse 2. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not have love, I'm nothing. We might be the most biblically literate preachers and teachers, but without love, he doesn't say we're inadequate, he says we're nothing. And as if that weren't enough, Paul adds yet another dynamic example when he says, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. Think about that. Even if if one of us had the faith where we could go to a mountain and say, in the name of Jesus, move, and the mountain would move. Even if we had the, the faith that would enable us to go up to somebody who's healed and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed, and they'd be healed. Even if we had that and could do that and did that, Paul says, without love, we're nothing. He didn't say we're less impactful. He said, we're nothing. Verse 3, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, some translations say to burning, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, you see, first century people commonly saw great merit in suffering and sacrifice just for the sake of sacrificing and suffering. Paul says that's not true. He rejects the idea. He said it's possible for a person to give their body away to suffering or to burning or to slavery, to give away all their possessions and live like a pauper, but without love. They gain nothing. Love is the one thing needful. Notice the five ifs. If I speak with the tongues of men, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I have all faith, if I bestow all my goods, if I give my body to be burned, and then notice the four alls, and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, if I have all faith, if I bestow all my goods, if such an individual exists who had all of that and could do all of that, Paul said, doesn't matter without love. It's nothing. And why is that? We learn from John, it's because God is love. Without love, we're without God. Love is essential. It's not optional. Now, the, the Apostle John begins where love begins. He says the core of love is in God's heart. We go to the third chapter of John's first epistle. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Literally, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. And in the Greek language, what manner actually means of what country. Behold of what country is the love the Father has lavished on us. It refers to something so spectacular that we know it doesn't come from a normal source. For example, in Matthew 7.27, we read the people said of Jesus, What manner of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? In other words, from what country does he come from? He's different. And Peter wrote, 2 Peter 3.11, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind or what manner of people ought you to be? Literally, it is according to what country standards ought you to live. So when John uses that phrase here, he's saying this, this love that we see in Jesus is in heavenly in origin. It is not earthly. It's important to understand that this love, God's love, acts. Love is an action verb. It does something. Now, part of the problem for us is that in English, if somebody says, I, I love you or I love this, it could mean any number of things and we're never sure what it is. 
But in Greek, there are three individual distinctive words, each of which we translate in English like love. The first one is eros. <clears throat> doesn't occur in the New Testament at all, and it suggests sensual desire. You can see the word erotic in it, usually associated with things that are unpleasant. Second word is the noun philia, from which we get our English word philosophy. Or you think of the city of Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. It's that kind of affection for other people, the love you might have for your friends or maybe some of your relatives. We find that word occasionally in the New Testament. But the most common word in the New Testament is the third Greek noun, which is agape, from which we get our English word agony. When you think of love and agony, it doesn't make a lot of sense except the word means the actual absorption of every part of our being in one great passion. Our whole being is involved from the heart. John 3.16, for God so loved, for God so agape the world that he gave his one and only son. The word has little to do with emotion. It's a matter of the will. It indicates that the one who's doing the loving deliberately chooses someone to love, and no matter how they respond or don't respond, no matter what they do or don't do, continues to love anyways. It speaks of complete self-denial. It's always used when the will is involved rather than emotions. That's why, for example, when Jesus spoke about Christians' attitude towards our enemies, the word Jesus used is, you shall agape your enemies, you shall agonize over in love your enemies. And the message is clear. We're to love as God loves. So how did God love? God loved selflessly. Again, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that what? That he gave. Since love is always concerned with the beloved, not with itself, not with what it can give, not with what it might lose, God gave. Love proactively works for the good of others. And God loved sacrificially. What he gave was costly. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send angels. He didn't send Michael. He didn't send Gabriel. He didn't send seraphs or cherubim. He sent his one and only Son. He gave the most precious gift he had, his only Son. Remember that scene in Genesis where God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? And just as Isaac raised the knife to bring it down upon his son, God said, wait. And he supplied a lamb in the thicket. You see, God understood Abraham's heart because it would come a day when God would sacrifice his son and there would be no one else to stand in his place. He would be the sacrificial lamb. God's love is sacrificial. He came down in Jesus because he loves us. Jesus came down to us because he loves us. In fact, let's think about Jesus' love, Jesus' agape love. Like God's love, it too was selfless. That brings us to Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians 2, verse 6. Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
Jesus was co-equal with God. He wasn't a junior partner. He wasn't an apprentice. He was co-equal. Colossians tells us he was the creator of the world. As co-equal and creator, Jesus was all-powerful, full of and surrounded by divine glory. He was worshipped and adored by all of creation, but he set aside his position of glory and his possession of power. He refused to clinch it and hang on to it. He stepped down. He resigned his position so he could come down to us. But that was just the beginning. Jesus' love, like God, like God's love, was also sacrificial. Philippians 2.7 He made himself nothing, being made in human likeness. Jesus emptied himself of all divine trappings, all desire and personal ambition, and became human in our flesh. He was not born to a king in a palace, but as a baby in a manger. He was not born to a royal family, but to a carpenter. He was not born to a married couple, but to a virgin. Jesus even said of himself, Mark 10:45, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Yet still he wasn't finished. Paul says he stepped down even lower because he was servant-minded taking the form of a servant. He voluntarily became a servant of that which he had created. He chose to be a servant of those whom he created and ruled. Luke twenty-two twenty-seven. he said, I am among you as one who serves. And then, said Paul, Jesus took the lowest step of all. He became submissive unto death. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He chose to die and allowed himself to be crucified as the lowest of criminals. He allowed himself to experience complete and total separation from God. And we say in the Apostles' Creed, he even descended into hell. Jesus went from being a full-fledged member of the Holy Trinity, seated in the heavens, to being a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes and a manger, to dying the lowliest of deaths. He reversed the world's values. He went from riches to rags. And he did it all for you, for me. He did it to save us from the penalty of our sin. He knew no one else could do it. It was up to him. Only he could make it happen. And so he stepped down, all the way down, to save us. His love is complete self-denial, total self-sacrifice for the sake of others. And while we're grateful for Jesus' love, for Jesus coming down to save us, we can't forget our obligation and priority. Jesus did not request love he required it. Jesus perfectly embodied his own summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is a priority because it's an obligation. Pastor Kevin set the scene well last week when he was preparing us for communion and he referred to that final night of Jesus with his disciples. Less than 24 hours before he was to be crucified, he led the disciples in the annual Passover celebration, but he surprised them by taking a towel 
and ritually washing their feet. Why did he do it? John 13, beginning in verse 15. I have set you an example that you, have, that you should do what I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And later on in verse 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you ought to, no, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If there is no action, there is no love. Love is action taken on behalf of another because they are in need. 1 John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. Notice the action. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then in the fourth chapter, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Action. Sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As Paul later wrote in Romans 5, verse 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, and literally the word means at the height of our rebellion, Christ died for us. In order to love, we must act unselfishly for the sake of others. Now admittedly, this love defies all human logic and reason. And we can only experience this love when we are grasped and seized by God's act of love in Jesus Christ on the cross where He died for you and me. And though we will never love perfectly in this life, we can experience perfect love at the foot of the cross. And that love enables us to do what love obligates us to do. God's love has supernatural power. God's love flows through us. That's why Paul personifies love in this 13th chapter of Corinthians, which Pastor Kevin will unfold for us in the coming weeks. It is that agape love that is the power that enables us to endure, to believe, to protect, to be kind, to be forgiving. The very love power in God that moved him to come down to us, sinners though we are, with no demands for any return on his investment, is the love he places in us through his Spirit. Romans 5.5 5, For we know how dearly God loves us. How do we know? Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We love only as we allow God to love us. And that's what makes love so necessary. It not only has priority, it has divine power. Truth is, Christians have no excuse for not loving. So why did Paul stress all this to the Corinthian church? Why is it important for us? The church in Corinth was a very typical church. She found it easier to be busy than to be loving. Good theology and faithful practice are no substitute for love. Religious works are no substitute for love. So here's the take-home for this morning. Am I so busy doing that I am not loving? How do your actions and ministry and Hope Church express 
or fail to express your love for others? Do you teach or work with the children because the need was great for teachers or because you love the students who need to be taught? Do you serve on consistory because you know it's tough to get people to serve or do you do it because you count it an honor and a privilege to lovingly lead this flock of God here in this place? Do you share your musical talents in leading worship because you love to sing or you love to play instruments, you love to be up front, or is it because you love the people of this church and you long for them to experience heartfelt worship? And what about when you get outside the walls of this church? Do you truly love as Jesus loved others and as Jesus loved you? Why do you do what you do? How do you do what you do? Are you great at demonstrating your giftedness but poor at delivering Christ's love? Paul said that all that we do in life, love is priority. So do it all with love. If Paul were speaking today, I think he would say, you may have tremendous gifts and do tremendous things, but without the love of the Lord Jesus in your life, it's nothing. Your gifts, your abilities, your talents, your knowledge, your sacrifice, your faith, they're great and they're important. But the one thing that matters is Jesus Christ and His love, His passion in your heart. Is that what you have in your heart now? John stated it clearly, 1 John 3.17, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? In other words, if our hearts are not touched by the needs of others, it's time to examine our relationship with Jesus. That phrase there, has no pity on him, literally is a, is a Greek word, splonchnos. It sounds guttural, right? Well, it is. It refers to the gut. It says that God felt our sin splunkness deep in the depths of his being. And so we are to feel the needs and the hurts of others splunkness deep in the depths of our being. And make no mistake about it, this removes love from the feeling level to an act of the will. It's Jesus' agape love. As Reuben Welsh wrote, we have to move out of the level of link, liking and emotion and feeling and warmth to the level of the will, a posture, a stance, an attitude, a frame of mind, a life direction towards others that's conditioned by our understanding of God's self-giving in Jesus. Did you catch that? A life's direction towards others. We are to be other-oriented. The need of the other person is primary, and we're to give ourselves away. That's truly impactful love. 1 John 4.12, as we read earlier, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Did you catch that? We complete God's love. Did you notice, Kevin, I even put three exclamation points behind it. If you were here last week, you picked that one up. The Chish School in Brooklyn, New York, caters to learning disabled children. And one year at a fundraising dinner, a student's father delivered an unforgettable speech. 
After extolling and praising the school and its dedicated staff, he said, Where is the perfection in my son Shea? Everything God does is done in perfection, but my child cannot understand things as other children do. My child cannot remember facts and figures as other children do. Where is God's perfection? With the audience shocked, but feeling his pain, he then said, I believe that when God brings a child like this into the world, the perfection that he seeks is the way people react to this child. And he then shared the following experience he had with his son. One afternoon, he and Shea were walking past a park where some boys that they knew were playing baseball. Shea asked his dad, Do you think they will let me play? Shea's father was pretty sure they wouldn't, but he knew what it would mean to Shea, so he went and he asked one of the players if Shea could join them. After thinking for a moment, the boy agreed, and they let Shea play. It came time for him to bat. Shea didn't even know how to hold a bat, let alone how to hit, but he stood up to the plate, awkward in holding the bat, and immediately the pitcher moved forward closer and lobbed the ball, but of course Shea swung and missed awkwardly. Then one of Shea's teammates came up and helped him hold the bat, and the pitcher moved even closer, and he, he lobbed the ball again, and they hit a weak grounder to the pitcher. The pitcher picked up the ball and threw it wildly over the head of the first baseman way out into right field. Shea had never run the bases before, so they had to say, Shea, run to first. And so, eyes wide open, he ran down to first. And when he got to first, the right fielder picked up the ball, and he flung the ball way over the head of the third baseman. So now the player said, Shea, run to second, run to second. And the runners who were on base ahead of him were deliriously crossing home plate. And he gets to second, and the opposing shortstop says, Shea, run to third. By the time he got to third, players on both teams were saying, Shea, run home, and Shea ran home across the plate within his mind, a home run. After telling the story, his father said, that day, those 18 boys reached their level of God's perfection. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. When we get up in the morning, our usual question is, what am I going to do today? It really ought to be, who needs me to step down in love today? We're designed to love, so God's love came down to empower and enable us to love. I invite you, I urge you this morning to let God love you right now so that you can stoop down to love and we can go out into a world that needs God's love to be complete. Let's pray. Lord God, it's hard to fully comprehend your love and the love of your son Jesus beyond all human comprehension. And yet, Lord, we, we have experienced it because we have stood at the foot of the cross. Through your Holy Spirit, stir in our hearts today. Through your Holy Spirit, give us God's love hug. 
Remind us of who and whose we are. That no matter what, we are loved by you. And then so stir our hearts that we go forth to complete your love in a world with people that so desperately need it. Holy Spirit, do a mighty work among us, we pray. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.